This episode of Revolution is brought to you by the team at Clearly. We're committed to helping revenue teams work better together. In today's economic environment, you're likely juggling many things. How to retain existing customers, how to secure new business, and how to do more with less resources. We're hearing this from many customers as organizations look to simplify and optimize their go-to-market strategy. The biggest challenges are around figuring out how to identify what activities to pause, what accounts to stop pursuing, and what segments will give you the biggest bang for your buck. This is where Clearly's revenue guidance system can help. It's purpose-built to aggregate data from across sales, marketing, and customer success to create a clear picture of what's working, what's not, and recommend what you can do about it. If you've been challenged to simplify, visit us at clearly.com. That's K-L-E-A-R-L-Y dot com today. And ping one of our team members. We are here to help. All right, let's get to the show. Get ready for the revolution. It's coming to you now. It's coming to you now. When you're pursuing you know, something that's like truly noteworthy, uh, whether that's the Super Bowl or hitting your quota, if you're going to aspire to do something difficult, you have to at some level be super invested in your mindset because I mean, that's everything. It's like skill set is like the old school way of thinking about how do you train somebody. Mindset's the new school way. Welcome to Revolution, where we dive into what gets in the way of growth for B2B revenue teams across sales, marketing, customer success, and beyond. I'm Mary Blanks. And I'm Alex Krawczyk. For decades, we've been talking about how revenue teams can work better together. On this show, we talk about the opportunities remaining for teams to better align, evolve their approach, and reach new heights of growth, both professionally and personally. Today, we have the pleasure of welcoming Steve Travellini. He's the Chief Revenue Officer at LinkSquares, the fastest growing AI-powered contracting platform for legal teams. We're excited to talk about how Steve got his start in the School of Hard Knocks, worked his way up the sales ladder, and brought on a mindset coach to help support his sales team. Thanks so much for joining us, Steve, on the podcast. We're thrilled to have you on today, especially on the last day of a quarter, which is really incredible. I'm sure the team is having a great time. I wanted to kind of hop right in and ask you to share a little bit about your background. And you've said before that you grew up in the school of hard knocks. So tell us a little bit about that background and how you've landed as the CRO there at LinkSquares. Absolutely. Mary, Alex, thank you for having me on. Uh, excited to talk with you all today. Yeah, so I threw the hard knocks onto my LinkedIn profile because I want to encourage uh, non-traditional candidates to think about Link Squares as a place where they could start their sales career to make it just a bit more approachable. And I've, I've seen it be really successful. So yeah, uh, like many people, I came up, you know, many different jobs before getting into sales. I was a dishwasher at one point, I worked in the service industry as a waiter, line cook, did rock walls for a little bit. I worked a few winters with a moving company. And so I've, I've, I've learned just how difficult and strenuous uh, uh, so many jobs out there are. And uh, sales is tough too, but if you've worked at a moving company in the height of winter in New England, you know, making cold, cold calls isn't quite as cold uh, <laughs> for a cheesy joke to start things up. But yeah, that, yeah. So, so that's where all that comes from. Nice. Yeah. I actually grew up working in my parents' restaurant and was just reflecting on that in the last week or so, I feel like I learned so much about process and workflows and order of operations to get stuff done. And some of those experiences that absolutely shapes who I am today and, and what I do. Yeah, no, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I remember my dad, he used to tell me like, hey, like these jobs are going to teach you what it means to work hard. Right. And I saw I saw someone I recently shared something that really caught my attention. It was like, you get to choose your heart, right? And, you know, being in the service industry is hard. Being in sales is hard, but you get to choose your heart, right? So for me, I love that the perspective of hard work and in other industries apply to an industry like, like sales or, or revenue for that matter, customer success, uh, you know, it can be really fruitful. So choosing uh, to apply that type of work ethic and that grit towards uh, something that has such a high 
payback is is really interesting. So speaking of choosing hard, and then you also mentioned cold, I, I noticed in your background, you have some BDR experience. Can you talk about choosing hard and what that was like from from an outbound cold calling perspective? Yeah, yeah. So graduating college, I, I knew I wanted to get into sales, but no one would take a look at me. I wanted to get into tech sales in Boston. And uh, none of the recruiters thought I had enough experience because I didn't have any at all. But a, a family-owned staffing company in central Massachusetts uh, was willing to take a chance. Uh, it was kind of their business model to hire the fresh grads and, and, and teach them sales. And that's where I did my you know, BDR work. And I was really unsure at the beginning. I, I had a really uh, challenging internship in college that was sales-related, and there wasn't much training. And I wasn't sure if I was going to like sales, but I kind of just stuck with the plan anyways and, and got into that first gig. and. And the rest is history from there. But uh, yeah. You said, Steve, you, interesting. You said you knew you wanted to do sales. Why? And tech sales in Boston. More so sales than tech sales uh, as what I knew I wanted to do after college. My dad is one of six. He has five brothers. So, so six boys in the family. God bless my grandparents on that side. But uh, they're all salespeople. <laughs> So I grew up, I grew up around a very close Italian family where all of the uncles were in sales. So I was kind of, I was kind of born into it as much as I think you can be. And coming out of school, I just figured I would, I would try and find my own path within that type of, you know, broad you know, sales is such a broad industry and tech sales at the time in Boston, right. You know, lucky, lucky to grow up here. Uh, right next to a you know a massive tech hub, uh, a lot of people are making a lot of money, uh, uh, and it seemed like that's where the excitement was. So I, I wanted to go there, and it didn't it didn't pan out that way, at least at the start. But ultimately, I have found a lot of questions and want to paint a visual picture for myself of what a family dinner would be like of all salespeople. Like, what's the quick version of family dinner? Not only all salespeople, but all Italians, Travellinis, yeah, like, yeah. 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 So, okay. Uh, it's more than just the, it's. And, and, and do you have it at the North end? Are you going to the North end or no, is this like no. they're back up? Okay. Now, so, so the Trav, the Travellini family started in East Boston. Uh, uh, so not the North end, but that's where everybody was for a long time. Then went to Burlington, Massachusetts. And then now everyone's kind of moved all over Massachusetts and New Hampshire. But yeah, so my dad and his five brothers, that's kind of the start. Uh, uh, they all have lo lots of kids. So, so everyone has at least two kids. Uh, 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 the max is four. So, so you have all the cousins there as well. And then my dad uh, and his brothers grew up next to their cousins, who are basically like an extension of the uh, aunts and uncles. So they're, uh, he had uh, uh, four, uh, uh, you know, so their kids too. So you're talking like, you know, uh, holiday parties and dinners and things like that with like, you know, 60 people, 50, 60 people. And, you know, that's, you know, just a normal, I think, occurrence, really loud. Uh, um, but do you yeah. have like sales competitions at the family dinner? Is that like, <laughs> sell me this pen? No, <laughs> no, no, no one really talks nobody really talks about work at all uh uh you know it's makes it's, the uh, end of quarter it's everything sales but. floor feel close to home i'm sure with that many people and and that much fun which is awesome yeah it's yeah 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 <laughs> totally so i know you also played college athletics i think it was football alex and i share in some of the athletic background as well and i was curious like how do you how do you view athletics and being part of a team shaping who you are and how you choose to lead your teams today as well. Oh yeah. I, I think there's so many parallels being in athletics is like, you know, something that's like not, it, it's, it's like out of vogue right now, because if you're only hiring for athletes, you're going to miss out on so many amazing people. But I think to say that like, Oh, we don't just hire athletes is kind of like a, a weird uh, way of thinking because there was so much value there, just like there is in you know, someone who's committed to anything at a high level, that requires a lot of discipline and balance and passion for something, whether that's music or, or art or being a football player, right? I think there's a lot of commonality there 
that serve as kind of like a baseline for, for identifying whether or not someone has what it takes to pursue something, train, get through difficult times, and ultimately find something that's you know bigger than themselves that kind of like tethers them to the task at hand so that, you know, and the team. I think there's a lot there in athletics that is super valuable to, you know, accomplish a common goal. So, yeah, I I think that when you have to balance academics with athletics or any other, you know, club or extracurricular interest that requires a lot of time, uh, you have to get good at time management and you have to, you know, really think about sacrifices and, you know, what are you willing to kind of give up in order to be the best that you can be in this area? I think all of that uh, really plays well so for you, someone who's trying to you know, get started in sales. Oftentimes in sports, Steve, you recall, we'd go back and watch the film, right? And how do you watch the film on your team yeah. now that you're the head of sales there, the CRO? Well, we have Gong. Uh, we've had it uh, since we were a small 10-person company. Uh, we have it now, uh, nearly 400 employees. And Everybody uses it. Uh, Proc will use it to listen in and I'll use it to listen in to a challenging call where things might may not have gone as well as they could have uh, or to offer you know advice or coaching. But our managers use it all the time. Uh, reps use it all the time to actually you know look at their own call. How can they get better? So yeah, game tape, uh, so to speak, is like a big piece of, of like a modern sales tech stack. Uh, you have to be watching it and thinking about how to. Yeah, get I think that player coach mentality is a big part of it. To t- to touch back a little bit from an athletics perspective, I think you also dealt with an injury at some point where you had to kind of shift from being frontline player to potentially coaching your own team in some ways. Like thinking about listening in on sales calls, like I, I see a lot of parallels there. Can you yeah. talk about how you did that? Yeah, not many people know this story. So I was actually signed up in college to do my junior and senior year in, in, in the ROTC program for the Army. So this ties into my sports injury, I promise. So uh, I was, I, I decided that I was going to commit to this, to this path. And basically ROTC, for those that aren't are familiar, it's a way of, uh, you know, getting your entire undergrad paid for by the military and you commit, you know, four or five years or something like that. And if you're going to do the accelerated program, which is like just your junior and senior year, you know, they'll pay for your freshman, sophomore loans, all that good stuff. But it's like pretty competitive because there are only so many slots available and you you have to do the two years versus like all four and all that. So I decided that that's what I wanted to do. And then I had to compete at uh, WPI for one of the slots. So you had to do this uh, two-mile run and push-up challenge. It's like physical thing. I went all the way in, and uh, I ended up getting one of the slots. And then I was going to spend the summer uh, at Fort Knox, which is where they have this, you know, like accelerated program and all of that. So I was all ready to go. I had my boots, like the fatigues, like everything was, I was all fitted up. And then I was at a friend's backyard party uh, in New Hampshire playing Frisbee and I blew out my knee, like colossally blew out my knee playing like backyard Frisbee. And I was at, like the, the peak condition shape of, I've ever been in. I was going to do this thing in the summer down at Fort Knox and I was going to come back for my uh, uh, fall season to play, you know, play football. So Immediately, uh, uh, ROTC, you know, pulls the scholarship, that opportunity sales. So that's a bummer. And then I'm injured and have to go through reconstructive knee surgery and won't be able to play for the fall season. So that's a fun story. Uh, people don't know that. So instead of quitting, uh, I was Wait, wait, wait. We, offered... we, we do need to focus on this, though, because you're a football player and you blew out your knee playing Frisbee. I just want to make sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. It was In ridiculous. Fact, you're a it was like, right? Yeah, it was totally absurd. <laughs> totally absurd. Right. I, I was hit from every possible angle by 300 plus pound uh, linemen and never really had like a major serious uh, injury like that. And then playing Frisbee in my friend's backyard blew out my knee like horrifically. So lose the, lose the uh, scholarship, lose that opportunity. And I was offered coaching slot. Essentially, you could stay with the team 
right? And help us uh, uh, in the booth uh, during the games and basically assist uh, uh, the defensive coordinator and people like that. And, you know, you come to every practice still if you want to be a part of the team and you got to come to all the weight uh, room sessions, even though like you're injured and you, you got to do all this stuff. And at the time, it was such a piece of my identity uh, uh, being a football player. And I was so close with everyone on the team that I just couldn't imagine walking away from it. So I just kind of looked at the situation for what it was and decided that I was going to become a coach for that year. And then I came back my senior year and got my spot back and, and had a good season with the team. But I did that whole year as a coach. Long answer to a to a simple question. A great story, no, but it, it's so funny that a Frisbee game like paved your path to where you are today. Yeah, I wouldn't be in sales if it wasn't for uh, the Frisbee throw. I'd be like in the military, you know, hopefully uh, uh, doing something cool. <laughs> but life's weird like totally. that. Awesome. You mentioned also uh, just hearing that story and thinking about almost like the mindset to wor- work yourself through that and think about each step and just kind of naturally living into that step. I noticed on LinkedIn, Steve Ballmer's USC commencement speech and being hardcore is part of that. Like, what does being hardcore mean to you? Yeah. So Steve Ballmer is so cool. He's one of my heroes. He's passionate. Uh, Some people think he's crazy, but he's really good at what he does. And uh, I was listening to one of his commencement speeches and it really just struck me, right? Like hardcore like language like that uh, in today's world uh, almost seems taboo, right? Like it's too intense and it's it, it's too much. But Steve had a way of illustrating what he means by hardcore, right? Uh, which is being optimistic about what you can achieve in your career, uh, in your life. Uh, thinking about, you know, pressing forward through, adverse, through adversity. Thinking about like evolution, which is something that I'm uh, uh, really into is like thinking about, how you have to continuously learn and continue to get better for every stage of your business or for your company. Uh, you have to, you have to develop new skills and not, it's not always like the things that are super different or, or a totally new thing, but it's like the, it's like that progression. Thank you. And uh, Steve nailed it. And, and as he was kind of talking about it, I was thinking about my own career and he mentions that people are like sharks uh, which is also another like dangerous thing to say. And he calls that out. And I really like that. Um, uh, he, he referenced that, you know, with sharks, it's like sharks are always moving forward or they die. Right. And like hardcore people are like sharks are, are like sharks. Cause they either move forward, like in their careers and their lives, they keep growing or, or they die. Right. So I'm always thinking about the type of people that I want at link squares. And I want people that are a little hardcore people that are super passionate that want to go all the way in on something that want to really uh, uh, push themselves in their career uh, uh, and in their, you know, in, in their lives, right? So, uh, yeah, Steve Ballmer, uh, the link's on my LinkedIn page. Uh, I leave it there uh, uh, as an Easter egg for uh, sales folks that want to write a really custom email or something to me. Is like, show me that you've done your research. I have like a wild YouTube video in my in my page. Nice. But I yeah, think that's where I that appreciate that you said that sometimes it can be a bit taboo. I I feel like I'm a super motivated person. And sometimes I think that the definition around continuing to learn and what evolution looks like, everyone's view of that can be a little bit different depending on where they are, like where you're currently kind of applying your passions and other things like that. Can you can you talk a little bit about the mindset coach Kevin Bailey that you've kind of added onto your team and and maybe how you think about balancing the hardcore approach with everything else that happens in life. Like how do we stay balanced throughout all of that? Yeah, absolutely. Even the definition of balance is one that's up uh, uh, for discussion. I'm sure. Right. Yeah. So Kevin Bailey uh, is amazing. Shout out to Kevin. Mindset coaches are are a thing that I think every sales and, and, and organization, every business are really going to be bought in on over the next 10 years. We're trying to stay ahead of the curve. Essentially, uh, uh, sales and many other uh, uh, professions talk about highs and lows, right? Great sellers uh, know how to balance the highs and the lows. Never get too high, never get too low, right? But nobody teaches it as a skill set, right? It's something that's kind of like learned. uh, It's like uh, 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 the initiated know how to balance this over over their careers. And uh, it was during COVID when everything was exponentially challenging and, and stressful, like 
not just not just in a professional capacity, but in a personal capacity. We're all going through so much. I was thinking about ways to keep morale high and to help actually tangibly invest in skill set development around how to how to manage those lows. And, you know, sports uh, teams have been doing this for decades. Uh, I thought like, hey, maybe this could work for us. And I started doing some research on uh, uh, what would be the right fit for us. And uh, Kevin's a neuroscientist uh, that focuses on uh, teaching the actual like science behind, uh, you know, performance mindset, balance, you know, things that that are good for our brains at a neurochemistry level, like what's happening when we're stressed, what's happening when we're elated, everything in between. I, I felt that that like science-based foundation would be like a really great and approachable way for folks to start to think about their own uh, headspace and mindset and what they can do to foster a more productive, uh, you know, working, you know, psychological place. And I personally needed it just as much, maybe more than a lot of other people. So I went all in on, on uh, uh, learning about it and thinking about ways to uh, improve my own mindset. And I think that it's one of uh, those investments that's hard to tie, uh, you know, real ROI to, but I can say that, you know, this is massively ROI positive. Uh, anytime you can help prevent burnout or turnover for your best employees who are pushing it super hard to help them recognize ways to kind of slow it down and, and, and kind of sh shift down. And Some things in life are hard, like student loans, traffic jams, and having your in-laws over. But other things don't have to be hard, like communication between sales and legal teams. Linksquares is the first AI-powered end-to-end contract management solution that helps sales teams close deals faster. Centralize your contract signing process, create accurate order forms for legal, and deliver a seamless experience for new customers, all within Salesforce. It shouldn't be that easy, but now it is. Contract management for humans, powered by AI. Learn more at linksquares.com. pull it back and, and, and to, uh, you know, keep themselves out of those ditches proactively, uh, uh, through a mindset practice. I, I just think it's, it's, it's so beneficial and, and I'm happy to talk to any sales leaders that might be listening that want to learn more about it. I, I think it's truly a, a worthwhile thing that, yeah, that love, we should be doing love the, love the sports, you know, again, all three of us share that background and it is kind of amazing when you think about, you know, the coaches that we've had that have been amazing that help shape who we are. And when we get to the business world, a lot of times we don't have that support and we may, we may fall into it luckily, but to your point, Steve, most specifically, we don't empower our managers and our supervisors and our leaders with the right skill set. So I think it's really interesting. How, how long have you all been doing this now? Uh, since oh, I believe July or August of 2020. That's great. They, so, uh, so over two years. Yeah. And it's spread through the company. Like, like, like there are, there are, you know, most of the executive team is, is is doing coaching with with Kevin, and it's spread into different groups and areas. I mean, everyone can benefit uh, uh, from from like the sports psychologist for business. And I totally agree. Like, what is that about business where like you know Alabama is going to invest in sports psychologists, but like when you go to like the business world, it's like you're on your own. It's like, what is that? Why is it like so cool for like or, the, or New, the New York Patriots Giants or, or the New York or some Giants. sports team right. to have sports psychologists or the Giants or or whoever, right? Like, why is it so cool for professional? Like, why is it something that's reserved for professionals? Uh, I, like, we're, like, we are professionals, right? Like, to talk about balance again, to revisit that, Mary, it's like, there's nothing balanced about playing for Bill Belichick or for the Patriots, right? Like, you want to win a Super Bowl, like, it's going to be like a really... Uh, intense experience, but like so deeply rewarding in so many ways. Why don't we treat our careers like that? Like why, why is it that our, you know, if we didn't make it to the top 1% of sports or, or acting or music or whatever, that everybody else just kind of lives in this, like, let's, let's prioritize just kind of like going through the motions type of, type of thing, right? Like to me, I have no interest 
and 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 not uh you know pushing it you know in business the same way I would if I was on you know a professional team's coaching staff um we're trying we're we're trying to be the top 1% of sales organizations so we're trying to think about the top 1% of organizations that exist and you know uh, uh, at a high performance level and you know sports is a good model for us yeah i think when i when i learned about your and i saw about you know kevin helping you all with the coaching i immediately thought of do you watch billions yeah yeah i've seen billions so when Wendy Rose. Yeah. Right? Well, well, it's it's so, interesting. Yeah, keep going. No, no, no. I, I've I've so many thoughts. Like I'll share with you. I have some personal stories about human resources and HR, and you know that function within a business. And a lot of times, people look at HR as you know they call themselves business partners, but they're really just doing the blocking and tackling. No pun intended. And. What it really should be, though, is about that element of really empowerment, of, of identifying. And the challenge is it's hard to do that at scale, by the way, because like Kevin's one person inside your organization. Yeah. And yeah, so anyway, I, I thought of it being Wendy Rhodes. Like I literally thought of that professional mindset coach. Yeah. And and you know what? Uh, yeah, I've talked about this on a, on a couple other uh, uh, shows and. You know, it's funny, right? So, so somebody wrote a comment on LinkedIn that was like, well, is it like, is it Wendy Rhodes where, where she's trying to like keep these people who are like in a really toxic <laughs> environment and system, like, like, like finding ways to keep going, getting the right? best or yeah, like, getting is the it best more of like a sports psychologist? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 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 And I, and I don't think it's like that at all. Right. Like that's like HBO, it's TV. It's kind of like funny to reference it and stuff like that. It's about teaching people about like what it means like at, a, at, at like the brain chemistry level. Right. Like what's going on when you're high, when you're low, what's going on when you're, you know, feeling great or you're feeling bummed. And like, what are the actual tangible things that you can do to help give yourself uh, uh, like the best chance at high performance, but also keeping a great, you know, positive, optimistic outlook. And it's, it's truly investing uh, in an education so that people can be, you know, self-reliant and, uh, you know, more capable of dealing with uh, high pressure uh, situations, which naturally occur when you're pursuing, you know, something that's like truly noteworthy. Uh, whether that's the Super Bowl or hitting your quota or any of these things, if you're going to aspire to do something difficult, you have to at some level be super invested in your mindset because I mean, that's everything. It's like skill set is like the old school way of thinking about how do you train somebody to, to, you know, make president's club or hit their quota. Mindset's the new school way. You still have to train on skill set. But it's just as important to teach people the skills that they need to keep their mindset positive uh, uh, and, and well-tuned. Oh, I think, Steve, I think it's more important. I mean, listen, the three of us played college sports. I mean, you get to a point where everybody has the same physical skill set except for a chosen few. And at that point, it really becomes about heart and mind. That's right. A hundred percent. Like to be the best of the best. I mean, th there comes a point where the skills just, everybody's on par. That's right. There's parity. And so it really is about you know, leveling up. And by the way, when I invoke, you know, Wendy Rhodes, I want to be clear. I, it's funny. I actually didn't think of it a bit as being a toxic environment. What I actually thought the way I think about, uh, but you're not yeah. wrong <laughs> in Axe Capital yeah, right. or whatever it's called now. But, but, but I, but I think more importantly, the way that I think about Wendy Rhodes and her role is it's so nuanced. Like she knows each personality inside the organization and knows how to, you know, a lot of times as, as, professionals, we can get wrapped around the axle. And she knows how to unwind people and get them back focused on what they need to focus on and excel. So the, I, I thought of Wendy Rhodes as actually a more of a positive um, and not toxic. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. But I wanted to address it, right? Because it's, it's, an, it's an interesting take. Like, yeah, we have a mindset coach like on Billions that helps you get unwrapped from around the axle, right? But really, like, it's a, it's a, it's a benevolent, uh, exercise for us. You know, we want people to have this skill set, not just because we want them to make a ton of money, but because we want them to be happy. Right. And uh, I, I think that's really important. Uh, uh, that's really where it came from. I was looking around the room and I was looking at myself and we were all just 
kind of kind of getting our butts kicked. It was mm-hmm. it was Q3 of 2020. We were at home and it was tough. And it was like it just it actually started more of a how how can we get people to to just kind of like hang in there and stay positive and 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 find a way to you know get that optimistic fire back that we all had despite this really hard thing that we were facing. And then all the performance stuff came as a secondary uh, 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 benefit. And we keep doing it for both reasons, not just right, because so, of so the ROI that ahead, we're seeing Mary. at a revenue level. I think there's something really important in that time frame that you chose to make the decision from a team perspective. I feel like we've been talking a lot about each individual and their own experience, potentially working with Kevin and what they need, because everyone, I can imagine everyone's mindset's different. And what we each need from an engagement like that may be unique to where we're all at and what we're experiencing in our lives. I would imagine, though, it's kind of interesting thinking about it from kind of a player to a coach. I would imagine the emotional like EQ level of the entire team has potentially gone up. Like, Do you see more people helping coach and pull others along, like where sales becomes... I'm going to potentially stereotype a little bit here. Like, I think sometimes you think about sharks going it alone. Like, have you found that your team is like better bonded and more connected from going through this experience together? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think, I think it's, it's something that, you know, as you, you know, as you work on yourself, you're better for everybody else. Right. So as, as managers are working on their own mindset and they're thinking about the things that are working for them and kind of self-diagnosing, like how to improve uh, uh, naturally uh, uh, the team, you know, benefits from that. They get a happier, uh, more balanced, uh, uh, optimistic leader. Uh, uh, and naturally, like those are the types of people that you want to work with and and for. Um, but uh, uh, it, it, it really uh, uh, is a common uh, uh, vernacular for the frontline sellers, the managers, executives, or everyone understands and has this baseline education surrounding, you know, mindset that we can all kind of lean on and reference. Uh, uh, and so how does that culture a, you know, scale? Culture. Like, how do you think about that? You've mentioned before that you all have grown a lot, I think, from 10 to 350, 400 in the last four years. Like, how do you how do you scale mm-hmm. that high performance culture? Yeah. So so mindset training, that's on Kevin to figure out how to scale it. Uh, uh, he's He's come up with some cool like 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 web based. Uh, uh, training courses and things like that, which have helped. But, but culture, I think, uh, uh, you know, I had a sales mentor, Chris, who talked about the first like seven, seven foundational floors of a building. Uh, I'm not sure if he made it up or got from somewhere else, but, but it's always stuck with me. He talks about how when you're, you're in the city and you see like a skyscraper is about to go up, it feels like they pound the ground and they work on that foundation for what feels like you know, forever, like, you know, two years, they're working on that foundation. And all of a sudden, the whole building just, it just shoots straight up. And all of a sudden, it's like, they're putting the windows on and like, it's basically done. I think about uh, the early days at Ling Squares, as as that foundation building, the first hires are so critical. Uh, uh, those processes, those rituals, uh, uh, the accountability, the mindset of the team at that point, uh, sets uh, uh, the table for for everyone else that will then come. So it's a train the trainer type of mentality. We do a ton of internal promotion at Link Squares. About eighty to ninety percent of the leaders uh, at Link Squares that are people managers started in individual contributor seats. Um, so you work with them hands on. You make sure that they understand why we're doing it, uh, uh, the way that we're doing it, and how to do it, and and you know, you have to coach and, and invest the time uh, so that they can step up, which is like really important to, to scalability of anything. Oftentimes, the hardest thing is to let go and step back. So other people can gra- like other people can grab on and like step up. Um, and once you teach them, you then have to like teach them how to teach a, a little bit. Uh, uh, but you have to let them step up and then train other people and then make sure that they understand that like their job now is to like, let those people step up. And that's how everyone can kind of grow together. Uh, so I think it's really about creating opportunities for people, making sure that people understand like a piece of this whole thing is to like give other people awesome responsibilities and and let them kind of run with it. I think all of that is critical to scaling a high performance culture. Um, so yeah. You, so, so Steve, you've talked a lot about 
your appetite for and focus on evolution. So, and we, I mean, that's kind of the essence of what we've been talking about so far. Talk to us about the title of CRO today. Like, what is it today? What does it mean for you? And where do you see it evolving? Yeah, so the title today is Chief Revenue Officer. And at every business, it's different, uh, uh, which is kind of a cool thing about the title, I suppose. At Link Squares, uh, it's sales, customer success, revenue operations, pre-sales engineering, which we call the technical solutions attorneys, uh, which is really neat. Shout out to the TSAs, their secret sauce at Link Squares. But it's a, but it's all it's all those uh, folks that help make the sales happen, help onboard the customers. It's the implementation team, it's support, it's onboarding, uh, it's 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 the CS functions. It's not marketing. So so a lot of uh, 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 the CRO roles out there uh, uh, include marketing. Uh, uh, we don't, and I actually think it's a it's a good thing. Uh, uh, I think that you should have a specialist that has deep deep marketing roots. Uh, uh, and a CRO that has deep, deep sales and success roots uh, so that you're having two super high performers uh, uh, that are that are masters of their respective crafts that get along really well and plan together and and are on the same team. I think that's like the thing that so many people have had a hard time doing is like getting revenue, go to market, uh, uh, CS sales and marketing all aligned in one. Um, so by having one person like oversee it all, that's kind of like the easy button on that alignment. But I think that you lose out on having a, a, a deeper expertise uh, 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 from like top level executives in either respective areas. So where it goes, I don't think anybody knows. I don't really think it matters. I think I think it's going to be different for every company. Uh, but I think that the principle is that sales and marketing need to be on the same team revenue, regardless of what uh, uh, is consisted of in that world, you know, they need to be on the same team. I mean, you also see like chief customer officers, right? Uh, uh, which are different from, you know, at some organizations like chief sales officers, chief revenue officers, officers, really just titles. For us at Link Squares, you know, that's how it breaks out. But what, what do you... I don't know if that's a good answer or a bad answer. I just think that at the end of the day, you need to, you know, feel the strategy that's going to bring the business forward. And if you can't do that because of misalignment and communication, you either have the wrong leaders, you got to consolidate under one leader. But if you have leaders that it's working, you know, it's it's best, uh, 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 you know, to, to I'm, pursue I'm curious, that. Steve, when you and I talked previously, and I've noticed that there's a trend now for customer success being part of the sales organization. How does how do yeah. you all think about that customer experience, and how does it inform your sales team and your sales operations? Yeah, I think I think it's critically important, and, and this is another one of those right where if, if it wasn't under one roof, could it be aligned? Absolutely. Uh, at our company, it is under one roof, so it's naturally aligned, right? Uh, you know, my top level goals are equally split between new business, uh, uh, new logo. Uh, acquisition, revenue targets, all that good stuff. And post-sale, like, you know, what is our net retention? How many customers are renewing? Are, are they buying more? Are they seeing value? How many of them are being onboarded? In what time frame? What's our net promoter score? And and all of these important things. Uh, are, are are the customers talking about us uh, in a favorable way on, on, on sites like G2 and things like that, which kind of like ties into marketing? Yeah, so so for us, for us, it's been really beneficial. Uh, uh, like, I'll just give you one example. So coming into this year, we had to make some decisions about you know, who owns upsell. Uh, is it sales? Is it, is it customer success? And what's that mean if, if, if we're trying to drive high net retention? If sales doesn't own it, are they just going to sell everything under the sun? Uh, you know, and there'd be nothing to upsell. And, you know, uh, uh, we have the ability to craft the comp plans in a way that kind of negates that, right? So if there's a discussion like, is sales overselling or are customers overbuying? Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's going on there? Like, how do we address it? It's like, well, if we take out the pressure of them needing to like sell everything on the first sale and we say that you'll get credit for all of the upsell for a year and CS will get credit for it too, everybody makes money, then what's sales going to do? Sales is oftentimes going to take the path of least resistance and 
You know, if that means that a customer is going to buy small and grow big later, those would be the deals that would be getting signed because, because, you know, you're going to see naturally those deals grow and they're not going to have to do as much upfront, right? Or uh, you're going to see the sales team selling deals that might be larger, uh, which is what happened, right? Uh, 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 but not because they're trying to capture all the upsell. It's because that's like the, what the customers are, are looking for, right? So, so I think that having like a neutral uh, party uh, uh, above sales and CS, kind of like tying it all together uh, is beneficial. Uh, but you better have subject matter experts uh, that are absolutely the best at CS and implementation and support uh, uh, and having their peers on the sales, new business, enterprise, all that uh, revenue operations as well, like all kind of in in that general team umbrella. So everyone's on the same page. But it's complex, right? Like all of this stuff is it's it's not one size fits all for any organization. Uh, um, and and it changes you know, as you grow. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, every stage is massively different. Yeah. I'm curious too. Um, you mentioned kind of the partnership with marketing and I feel like knowing that you get along is a huge part of it and hitting the easy button does seem like a fast way to alignment. When you think about that partnership and, you know, metrics and KPIs around that, like, do you all share in an overarching goal together and then think about how each one of the teams align? Like, how do y'all talk about that? Yeah, super simplistically. Revenue. <laughs> like top line customer goals, like like ARR growth, uh, net retention. These are shared metrics between sales, customer success, marketing, everyone, right? I think uh, uh, some some companies kind of over-engineer the attribution and, and it kind of works against the team all being on one, on one page together. Uh, uh, I think we all celebrate the top level company goals as a team. And, uh, uh, it's, it's nothing more than that. This <laughs> is pretty like simple, you know, like we're all trying to, you know, drive the best leads, convert the leads, have the best events, convert the leads at the events to what end to our customers being super happy, buying more product to our new business teams, getting great deals, you know, making things a little bit easier. Uh, 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 with, uh, uh, you know, lead surfacing that might be a little bit further down the funnel. Uh, but yeah, like marketing has done a crazy great, great job at Link Squares with driving customer events, which is, it's not just all about like MQLs and all this type of stuff. It's about like, let's get our customers together, make sure that they're super happy and let's like provide value to them in, in, in some kind of way. Like let, let's help customer success too. And not just, not just sales. Um, so, you know, that's, that's how we think about things. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll say, Steve, I'm super happy to hear you talk about simplicity because I think that's a very hard thing to hold on to as an organization grows. M you know, Mary, for example, came from a huge company, you know, like Red Hat. And I know there's a lot of complexity inside an organization like Red Hat. I've worked in both small and large companies and I've worked in growth size companies like your size. And as you grow, and I can speak from experience, it is very hard to hold on to that simplicity. You can tend to over-engineer things. Um, and a lot of it, I will say it is, you know, a lot of it is from leadership, from investors that trickles down. So kudos to you and the team for maintaining that simplicity. It's not easy. Yeah, well, I think it's a decision, right? So, so complexity is necessary. The, the, the level of depth on what we're capturing and what we report on and what we have the ability to run analyses on to see uh, uh, how we're doing, uh, like where like what we're doing that's working, what's not working, all of that. That's par for the course. You got to do all that stuff. The level of complexity that we have at an operating like data posture level as a business is, 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 is wildly deep. But how we think about like what our goals are right? is simple. Like let's hit our, our big top level company goals together, right? Let's focus on that. And let's not focus on all of like the micro like minutia. Uh, uh, and, and I think that, you know, obviously talking about like alignment with marketing, it's like, it's all about trust, right? Uh, 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 it's all about, you know, being a team and respecting each other. Uh, uh, I know Juliet, uh, uh, our CMO like respects what I do. She, she knows that like, I've got it. And uh, she's always there to help. Like, like when I need it and she's totally incredibly brilliant 
one of the smartest people uh, that I've ever worked with. So I love bouncing ideas off of her. But also, like, she knows that I respect the heck out of her, trust her deeply. And I know that she's got it, right? So so there isn't like that, like, who's, you know, and we win a lot. So, you know, people aren't looking uh, around the room for whose, like, fault it is that we're not winning. Uh, uh, we're We're focused on the next game and winning that game together uh, 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 versus like trying to justify like, you know, why we lost the last three. So I guess that does, helps. Does too. she, <laughs> does she trust your music selection on a Friday end of quarter for the sales floor? Of course, of course, <laughs> of course. Uh, uh, yeah. Like, she, like, like, like she doesn't worry about the music. Just like, you know, I don't worry about anything that's going on uh, on her side of the house. If it's, <laughs> If if we're playing uh, Nickelback on the last day of the quarter, which doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense, because it doesn't really, like you know, <laughs> most people are going to scratch, which is what's going on, and it's really weird. Um, but if that's what the team needs, that's what the team needs, and 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 she's supportive of of everything. I love it. So one sure. more question for you. I'm curious. I think it says uh, a lot about the dreams we have at night sometimes. Do you ever dream about revenue or like that deal that got away? Like, or are you sleeping peacefully thanks to Kevin? Yeah, I normally s- sleep peacefully. Uh, but but yeah, so so uh, I think that it's more like the revenue nightmare would like creep into my mind where, you know, I, I care so much about my people and I know that it's so, it's so difficult out there, but I definitely have had like a, you know, this person decided to leave nightmare and like, I wake up and it's like horrific. It's like horrific. It's like one of those nightmares where you wake up and you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm so glad that I was just dreaming. And I don't know what that is or where that comes from, but I do know that when that happens and it's happened a couple of times, it makes me appreciate so much that that person who's so valuable and our team is there. <laughs> like the next morning, it's like, I go give him like a hug. I'm like, Hey, just like, like, not like a weird way. It's just like, Oh my gosh. Like, I don't know if I've told you lately, like how amazing you are and like how critical you are to this whole thing working, but like, let's get lunch or something. Right. Uh, uh, so I try, I try and make sure that people feel the love and those dreams, uh, uh, like I think are like my subconscious way of reminding me like, Hey, you got to make sure that you're talking to that person. Your team is dying to know now who you dreamt about. So that'll be <laughs> the the new thread. I think it was actually, I, I'll throw it out there. I think it was like Rob Dorgan or something earlier this year. It's one of our sales managers been with us since like the very beginning. And, uh, that was a tough one. So I, lo- I love Rob Dorgan. Shout out to Rob. He's one of the best of the best. Well, you're Future a big fan CRO, of that, Steve. VP of sales. Like you're, no you're, questions. That is one of your missions is, is really empowering people and getting out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what I wanted, right? Uh, 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 that's what I wanted. And I find that like super talented, capable, hardcore people that really want to push, uh, uh, you know, the limits of their career and, and like the limits of their own evolution. Like, 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 like how much can they learn? How far can they go? How, how much can they grow? Uh, I think naturally, if you're going to attract those people, you better put your money where your mouth is because those people have a big expectation for running fast and for moving up quickly and taking on more responsibility. And I authentically mean it with every fiber of my being that that is, you know, uh, uh, one of my core missions uh, with my career is to throw the rope back over and afford uh, uh, these opportunities to other people the way that I was given them. Right. Like, like, like there is nothing self-made about Steve, like, in a, in a vacuum, it took leadership being willing and, and excited and eager to give me opportunities maybe before I was ready for them. And I'm for that reason, I'm forever grateful. But now, uh, uh, having seen the benefit of that, I haven't been, have been sold that story myself and then actually have, have seen it pay out when other people were kind of skeptical as to whether or not, you know, our sales leaders meant what they were saying. It's like, no, like that has to be the whole thing, the whole mission, because then people play to a totally different level uh, when they're feeling actually inspired that this is going to lead to the mm-hmm. next stage of their career. If it's not, you're failing, even if you're hitting your revenue goals. If you're not promoting people, if you're not helping people get to the next level, if you're not helping to develop a skill set that's going to transcend your company or your brand, you're failing them as a leader. Uh, I, that, that, that's what I believe. My goal is to hit the revenue goals. My goal is to build predictable uh, revenue models. My goal is to lead this company well past $100 million, push it to IPO. All of those things, I'm super, super focused on them. But that's like the business side of it. Like one of my whys, outside of my personal whys, my family and everything like that, 
is creating a legacy of amazing sales leaders who are programmed the right way to think about mm -hmm. how they should be serving their people and helping them get ahead. And if we can create that type of butterfly effect, I think that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the impacts could be huge for many, many years to come in a really positive way, right? Not just that like, hey, let's help get people get promoted, become VPs of sales, but like, mm -hmm. let's, let's teach them that like you should be caring about the way that your people think and, and like their mindset. And you should be thinking about how you're going to get people promoted and get them ahead. And if we can create sales leaders that think that way, they'll create more sales leaders that will think that way. And then, you know, when we've hung them up, so to speak, we'll be able to look back and say, hey, like we did our part at bringing sales forward, uh, uh, you know, as a profession. That it really is about that legacy and the team and that huge butterfly effect to your point all across the world. That's amazing. Thank you so much for being on. It has been an incredible conversation and appreciate all that you've shared about your experience and how you're also leading the team there. Thanks for coming. Thanks so much for coming onto the podcast, Steve. It was so much fun to learn more about your background and the culture you're creating with your revenue team there at Link Squares. I'm going to be reflecting on this episode for a long time and can't wait to follow along with your continued success. It was great to have you, Steve. And thanks to everyone for listening. This show is brought to you by Clearly. If you are ready to embrace revenue as a team sport, where all your teams work better together, visit us at clearly.com. That's K-L-E-A-R-L-Y.com to learn more. Next week, our journey towards the B2B revolution will continue with another great guest. Until then, I'm Mary Blanks. And I'm Alex Krawchick. We'll talk to you next week. Chasing emails between sales and legal can be mind-numbing. So why not streamline your contract management process? LinkSquares is the first AI-powered end-to-end contract management solution that helps sales teams close deals faster and deliver a seamless experience for customers along the way. Centralize your contract signing process to accelerate your sales cycle, avoid disruptions, and create accurate order forms for legal, all within Salesforce. It shouldn't be that easy, but now it is. Contract management for humans powered by AI. Learn more at linksquares.com.